Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. My guest on this podcast is Danny Garavelli, who is an award-winning journalist and columnist. The most recent of those awards coming in December at the Right to End Violence Against Women Awards for the Best Opinion and Comment Piece of 2019. She's the 2019 Scottish Press Awards Feature Writer of the Year, while she was also the winner of the inaugural Nicola Barry Award, established by Women in Journalism Scotland in memory of the award-winning writer, to encourage and recognise powerful reporting and campaigning journalism. Danny's Twitter profile also declares her to be a gin drinker, a night owl and book lover, and in agreeing to take part in the Read All About It podcast, she told me that books are one of the few things I am happy to talk about. Shutting me up is probably the most difficult part. Danny, welcome to the Read All About It podcast. Thank you. And, uh, and hosting the podcast, when you say books are one of the few things you're happy to talk about, I mean, that's I'm absolutely delighted about that since <laughs> this, is, this is all about books. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved books, so um, I think it's great to evangelise about them. I think one of the one brilliant things about social media has been being able to open up the kind of conversation about books and share things that you love with other people. So, And I'm guessing, you know, obviously, you know, as a writer that you have forged your career and made your name, but that love of writing, I'm guessing, would have started with a love of reading. Yeah, I loved reading long before I ever thought about writing. Um, yeah, I loved reading. My mum's a huge reader. And so she read to me when I was very small, but also my image of her is always of reading and going to the library, went to the library all the time to pick up books and the smell of the library still stays with me, you know. So I read absolutely all the time when I was small. Um, And yes, that has stayed with me, although obviously life gets in the way, unfortunately, sometimes and you don't read as much as you'd like to. And I was wondering as well, have you ever, given the fact that you've always been a reader, have you ever wanted to, to write your own books? you ever thought about that or have you ever tried it? Um, I haven't tried it. I have thought about it. I don't think that I'd write fiction. If I, I love reading fiction, but I think I don't particularly have any strong ideas about fiction. I think if I was doing something, if I ever did write a book, it would be something non-fiction, essays or, or something, you know, covering some bigger story in a more extended fashion, if you see what I mean. But yeah, I mean, it's the dream for everyone, isn't it? I think, that loves reading just to write their own. And, and also, I'm also aware, whenever I've asked anybody these questions, it's the same five questions... But then people, particularly if you do love books, then you, you start to agonise over your choices and then it's difficult to whittle it down because, it, and I've said to people before, in any given day, if I was to, we were to do this podcast in a few days' time, you might have five completely different books and that's, I suppose that's the, the beauty of books as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I was a bit worried when I picked, my, especially my childhood ones, that somebody would come back to me and said, but you, in the past you've said such and such <laughs> was your favourite childhood book because it does change depending and there were so many of them at different stages of childhood. So yeah, I do think what your favourite book is depends on what your mood is at the time and it's kind of it's conceit isn't it whittling it down to one there are so many ones that you've loved during your life and the first question I always ask people is the favourite book from childhood and we're kind of going to go sort of 2019 book a prize here but we're going to split it the award between two yeah. books because <laughs> <laughs> I know you asked me and obviously it's if, if you can't what 
choose one. It's fine to choose two. There was two <laughs> books in particular that you chose. It was Carrie's War um, by Nina Bodden and Marianne Dreams by Catherine Storr. Yes. I mean, I, I'd, I'd got it down to ten and at <laughs> some point the date night before you asked me to finalise it. Um, so shall I start with Carrie's War then, yeah? Yep. So Carrie's War, um, I absolutely adored when I was young. Um, I was quite fixated on it. And it's about, essentially, it's about these two a brother and sister who uh, were evacuated during the war, and it's fictional. And that's quite a common theme, obviously, but what makes this different is that they go to this tiny Welsh village, and I think that that was kind of exotic to me, the idea that they had wonderful names, like Druid's Bottom was the place where one of them stayed, and one of the characters is called Hepzibah Green, and so there were names and and, um, places that were completely unfamiliar to me. But it's also um, interesting because it's quite insular they, uh, and dark. Because when they go there, it's not all it's you know it's not all the fun of being evacuated. There's quite a lot of darkness in it, and it centres on in this place called Druid's Bottom. There's this mysterious skull, and there's a curse around it. She's told that there's a curse. Carrie, the main character, is told that there's a curse, and if she ta- if the skull ever leaves Druid's Bottom, something terrible will happen. So. It's very complicated, but there's an argument and she's angry and she throws the skull down a well. And honestly, I can still remember how I felt when she she throws the skull down the well. And then um, at the end, as they move somewhere else, they leave and they see Druid's Bottoms on fire. And for most of the rest of her life, she thinks she's responsible for burning down Druid's Bottom. And I think that that thing, that idea that you could do something irrevocable, that you could, that you'd never be forgiven for, just almost in a fit of pique or, or almost inadvertently, it's just kind of hit home with me when I was a child so definitely and what age would you have been when when you first read that less than 10 8, 9 maybe something like that yeah because I always wonder if you if you've gone back and revisited it as at various stages of your life and, and to see whether it still has the same impact on you. Yeah, well, I've read it. I read it to my kids, and one of the great sadnesses for me is for none of my kids liked it. None of them thought it was. None of them thought it was That's nearly as exciting. It was absolutely devastating, and I began to learn as I read to my kids not to invest too much in it because they quite often didn't like. I suppose things date and. Um, and they said not much happened in it, but I thought I thought it was I thought that that moment of like of that recognition of what you'd done was like so powerful that it just obviously didn't translate to them. I suppose it's that idea of you know like sometimes you rec- recommend a book to someone, particularly a book that you really love, and I'm quite guilty of almost judging people if they come back to me and saying, "Man, I don't really like it," and I'm thinking, <clears> "Why? Why not?" Yes, you just want to you just want to like. <laughs> keep talking to them until they change their minds, wear them down until they've changed their minds. I suppose the other side of that is, do you ever feel, you know, if somebody says to you, you should really read this, I, I love the book, there's a pressure on you then for the same reason. If you read a book and somebody else tells you it had such an impact and you read it and it doesn't have the same impact to you and you're, you don't want to tell someone because you'll they disappoint them. Yeah, I probably wouldn't tell them to be honest. <laughs> I'd probably lie. But I think mostly if people have, you, you know people's tastes before you, if you talk about books a lot before yeah. you, and so if it was somebody who's taste I, I normally I normally liked I would make, go the extra mile to try and see what they'd seen in it I think probably you know try and understand what it was they got out of it and I think people as well some people might recognise the name of the book from because there was a TV series in particular that I think people watched it maybe I don't know if it was maybe yeah no no the there was a series yeah. I mean I don't really remember the series that well but there definitely was a series afterwards yes yeah, so people I mean I think it was pretty well known at the time wasn't it I think it got a subsequent I think it didn't get any awards at the time and then it subsequently got a Phoenix Award for being recognised as a book that had been overlooked at the time and, and was actually much more important or, or a greater quality than had been appreciated or 
No, I mentioned that you'd already broken the rules of the podcast, so <laughs> everything's up in the air. But the, the other book that you had chosen was uh, Marianne Dreams by Catherine Storm. What, what was it about that book? Well, that book is has a much vaguer thing in my mind, but it's the atmosphere of it. It, it just, it, you know, I, I would dream about it. it so she uh, was an invalid, the sweet girl Marianne, she's an invalid, and she draws in her in her bed because she's not allowed out. So there's, again, there's this feeling of claustrophobia about it. And when she draws, what she draws comes real in her dream. So she draws a house, and then she draws a picture of a little boy in it. And the boy is a real boy but she never meets him except in her dream he's also an invalid somewhere else but every time she gets angry so she'll she'll she gets angry at the boy in the dream and then the next day she draws bars over his window and the thing I remember most is boulders with sinister eyes in it so that they watch but she can't rub it out so that's there forever but it was more the quality of darkness it's kind of had a gothic feel to it and I think I was very young when I read that and so I found it quite scary and that kind of stayed with me were you, you know, when you were younger, were you a regular visitor to the library, for example? Or, or were there books in the house all the time? So, Obviously you mentioned your mum was a big Yeah, well, we were at the library all the time, but also I was I was allowed... To, so we got pocket money, but it was only book money, so um, we were only allowed to spend it on books. So we got ten pence a week, as I remember, and at that time it took four weeks to be able to buy a book, so there was right. also the trip to the bookshop, the ritual thing of having our, having saved those ten pences for the four weeks, and then you would go and buy. So I, do, I did own quite a lot of books as well. I was very lucky like that, but we did go to the library too. Because I'm always curious, um, and I've, I've spoken to people before about this, about, you know, I grew up in a house full of books. I, I grew up in a bit of love of reading. And again, like you, I read to my kids when they were wee. But the three of them have different attitudes to books. So one of my daughters is a prolific reader. My other daughters read sometimes. And my son just is not interested in books at all. Even when I gave him a copy of my book. And mm-hmm. after about two weeks, he came downstairs and he said, I'm not going to read your book, Dad. He said, books aren't for me. I'm just going to wait until the film comes out. <laughs> <laughs> and he was true to his word. And, and I've spoke to people, people think, well, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, I feel absolutely fine because it's it's my interest and his interests are different and we talk about different things. And But I, I wondered, you know, obviously your mum would have been delighted as you grew up a reader and you, you read to your kids the... Did you want to pass on that love to them? Oh, I definitely wanted to. So um, my middle one still reads a lot and he read probably as voraciously as I did when I was young and still and, and made the transition to adult. So, so I'm quite, always quite surprised to find out, say, he's read Clockwork Orange or whatever, you know. The oldest one read a lot when he was a child, doesn't read so much now. He reads politics and, and um, articles and stuff, but doesn't really read books. And the wee one, I, I, it's a struggle to get him to read. I would like him to. I, not because, you're right, it's your, it's your own hobby, isn't it? But at the same time, it's quite good for your language skills and all that to yeah. read a lot. And I would like to see him read a bit more, but... He knows that. <laughs> but I suppose as well, I'm thinking, I know when I was younger there wasn't the same maybe distractions or other attractions that, especially my son when he was growing up, other things that he would rather have, have been watching or playing rather than sitting with a book. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there wasn't a whole load else to do. <laughs> if you wanted yeah. to escape into another world, there wasn't any much else to do, was there, when we were younger? Yeah. Whereas they can escape into different universes through through their games or consoles and, you know, there's the graphics are so amazing and it does feel to immersive to them I guess yeah. I always think though that as long as they're in a house of books then at any given time it's there and if they want to go and the books are on tap for them which I always think is just a good environment anyway yes no absolutely although maybe 
I don't know, you could argue it makes lets them take it for granted. You know, but but you're right, they're there if they want them and hopefully hopefully they they all will dip in at some point. Yeah. The the second question kinda of takes you on in terms of your own life from childhood and I've kinda of called it teenage university, but kind of formative years when you've started you're you're becoming an adult and you're kind of developing your own reading tests and the book you've chosen is Wild Sargosso Sea. Wide, wide, wide circles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. Um, for by Jane Reese, yes. So I picked that because I guess I mean we didn't call it being it being woke in those days, but if there was a point where where my consciousness of say feminism and also the book's very much about colonialism it uh, was kind of awakened, that would probably be it. It was probably so um Wide Circassia Sea is about it takes Jane Eyre Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre and looks at it from the perspective of the mad women in the attic so it's all told from what happened to Antoinette who later becomes Bertha and I think that was the first time so obviously I'd read Jane Eyre and, and I, you know I don't think I'd ever considered you buy into the happy ending and oh that's lovely they get married in the end etc did I ever give a thought to the idea that somebody had to die, the first wife had to effectively die in order for that to happen so in White Sargasso see it goes back to Jamaica, where Antoinette is born, and it talks about her difficult childhood there, and then she marries Rochester, and he's horrible to her, and he's unfaithful to her, and gradually she goes, well, they would call it mad, but, you know, she has mental health difficulties, and she's brought back to England to Thornfield House, and, um, yeah, she's effectively locked in the attic. So for the first time you're seeing that, you know, the happy tale of eventually happy tale of Jane Eyre is based on someone else's misery basically yeah. and I really liked the idea that I, I mean I'm sure I'd thought about perspective before but you know just the idea that something could be told from an entirely different point of view appealed to me when I was I don't know what age I was 16 17 something like that yeah and also when you're you know you're starting to read books like that and they just say it's, it's maybe bigger themes that, but also themes that you suddenly you're beginning to become aware of rather than I suppose when you're a child, you may be reading things that are more literal, but then you may uh-huh. be starting to see beyond that and maybe what the author's trying to say when you read a book like that. Yes, I guess so. You're looking at the layers. I don't know how aware I would have been of the colonial part of it then, but um, certainly you see you see it not as literally. You see the symbolism a bit more and what yeah, and what they're trying to say beyond the plot. Yeah, definitely. It was interesting. I know a friend of mine had, had done a. I'm not sure if it was a higher English or it was certainly some sort of English course, and that was one of the books he studied. So it was obviously. It's a book which maybe lends itself to getting people to delve into the text and, and find out what's going on mm-hmm. in it as well. And I can't remember if I studied it. I probably I was probably just started university, so I probably was actually studying it. So we probably got help in that, you know, yeah. to think about the, what they were saying about women and and also the way the past affects the present and all those kinds of things. Yeah, because yeah, I was wondering that if you had if it had been a book you'd just sort out yourself or as, as often as the case you know whether you're at high school or, or university then you find great books but it's, it's part of your course almost yeah I think that probably was um, I think that probably was my first year at uni I don't actually remember 100% but I think so or else somebody else recommended it to me which is another great way isn't it you know yeah. your friends have discovered something first or because I noticed the the BBC recently did a list of I think it was the the 100 most inspiring works of, of literature and that mm-hmm. was in the was like, it the hundred yeah right. and I think the good thing they did about the list is they didn't there wasn't any hierarchy they just listed the hundred books so there wasn't like you know these lists it's like number one number you know which I always hate yes uh-huh. whereas uh-huh. it was just a hundred so you could yeah, pick, you number could 99 was as valid they as number one it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the which is the best way to mm-hmm. so that kind of 
I know, pitting books against each other is not particularly good, is it? Yeah, I suppose it's like a lot of art, you know, whether it's music or, or as you say, literature or films, it's, it's such a subjective thing mm-hmm. anyway, so mm-hmm. how do you how do you decide on the, the best book of the century and the best book of the decade? I mean, it's... Yeah, and there's so many different genres, aren't there? And some books are trying to do one thing and some books are trying to do a completely different thing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, similar to the, the books you chose from childhood, is that a book that you've, you've come back and read again? I haven't read it, certainly, in the last 15 years, so I don't know what I would make of it now. Well, we're listening to the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddyhay, and my guest today is Danny Garavelli, and we're on to question three. And again, it's uh, we kind of touched on earlier on about recommending books, and this would be a book that you would recommend to everyone. And it's uh, Jenny Fagan's The Panopticon. I think I read it quite soon after it came out. Immediately fell in love with it. And the thing I fell in love with is the main character whose voice is just so distinctive and her name's Anais Hendricks. And she is a teenager, 15 I think, in a care home who has never known her parents. She doesn't even know who her parents were. And the thing about her is she's so simultaneously precocious and difficult and defiant and vulnerable and self-destructive and she's just you put the book down and her voice is still in your head for a long time afterwards yeah and they've just recently i think there's just been recently a stage adaptation yes i went to see it yes i did go and see it yeah how did that match up to your expectations given the fact you love the book it was excellent it was really good but i just i just think if there are books that you love some sometimes there is no matching up to them i don't think it was any fault of the production i just think that it can it, it can be so firmly lodged in your head can't it what that person looks like and what that person sounds like that you know that it takes a, li- a little bit away from it i think but it was very well done production it was i suppose there's always that idea of is the book better than the film mm-hmm. the answer is obviously yes but uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's very few because i always remember uh, taking one of my daughters to see is it jodie piku and she'd written it's my sister's keeper mm-hmm. and my daughter loved the book and then when the film came out she was absolutely devastated because they changed the ending and the ending is the real Right. It was a real twist, and, and she couldn't. She was only about fifteen or sixteen. She couldn't quite understand, and as a result, the film was a disaster because all the fans who loved the book felt betrayed. Yeah, the... I, I, I don't think you should mess with the endings. I mean, I realise that there are things that you can't translate from a book easily to a, a film, or I don't think you should mess with authors' endings. Are you? And do you find find yourself recommending a lot of books to friends, or, or vice versa? Is it, is it one of those things that you read something you're you want to say, for example, this book you should read this or Oh yes, what books all the time. My house is full of books I haven't returned to people. <laughs> but then again, other people have books they haven't returned to yeah. me, so it's fair enough. I think, and as I said, I think social media has helped that a lot. I mean, you know, you, Nicola Sturgeon going on and recommending what her books are. I just think that's got the chat going, and people. I, I suppose it depends who you follow. In it, but in in my wee circle, yeah. uh, we talk about books a lot. So um, yeah, I love to hear other people's excitement over something that they've just read as well. I suppose that's the, the the good thing about Twitter, for example, is you can actually frame almost the conversation that you want to hear. So, for example, if it is just book chat, you can kind of cut out the other stuff, the white noise of all the negativity, if you just want to have people that are kind of passionate about literature, for example. Or... Yeah. Well, because I need it for work, I have to pretty much have... But, but yes, you, you can have your wee circle, definitely, of people who love the same things as you, definitely. Yeah. And I'd ask you, you know, right at the start, about whether you thought... Of, about writing fiction, but do you think sometimes, obviously, what you deal with is, is facts, non-fiction, and but sometimes can fiction almost 
tell the story, for example, that book could be told maybe as a non-fiction, but fiction can sometimes work as well in telling the story of, of something harrowing, but in, in a way that engages people. Oh yes, you know? definitely, and I suppose that creates a distance as well from the story, doesn't it, by fictionalising it, which makes it more acceptable to tell the story, and also sometimes you don't know every aspect of the story, so you would, to tell it at all, it would need to be fictionalised. I mean, what kind of a reader are you? Do you have a specific... Are you quite open in terms of you'll just read anything or is there certain things that you would read or wouldn't read in terms of genre or anything like that? I'm relatively open, I think. I'm limited a little bit because I review a lot, so a lot of my reading time's taken up with what people have asked me to review, mm-hmm. so I sometimes find myself reviewing things that I probably wouldn't have read otherwise, But and sometimes that can be... You think, oh, I could be reading something else. But at the same time, sometimes that opens you up to something you might not have picked up naturally off the shelf and thought that would be for me. And it, and you find that it is really, really good and you've enjoyed it. So maybe it widens your horizons a little bit as well. Yeah. Is that a pressure when you're reviewing? Because obviously there's an author sitting there somewhere waiting for you to review. And, or do you just have to be honest in, in, in terms of how it makes you feel? Uh, is that a pressure? Yeah, I mean, I've never been in a position where... I've hated a book so much I couldn't find anything good to say about it. So, um, luckily, so far. So, um, I don't know what fate. I would do. Yeah, no, it is really, isn't it? I don't know what I would do if, if I did. No, I think you would. I think you do have to be honest. I don't think there's any point in reviewing if you're not going to be. Yeah. I, don't, I think you just have to try not to think too much about the other person at the end. But and is it fiction or non-fiction you review or a mixture of both? Both, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have a preference in terms of... You, in you terms have, of reviewing? Yeah. No, whatever. It's out there, yeah. Yeah. and I don't have a pre- preference in reading either. Yeah. Takes us nicely on to, to question four, which is one that you, the book that you couldn't be paid to read, to, <laughs> to read again. Well, <laughs> I, unless I'm reviewing, I don't tend to read all the way through something that I didn't like. I would probably just yeah. re- leave it on the basis that life's too short and there are too many books to to, to spend time. Uh, forcing yourself but I did because because you've asked me I think that and this is really unfair because again I was really young when I read this so probably it's probably it's an absolute work of genius but I read The Old Man in the Sea Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea when I was very young and I thought it was and I like other Hemingway books but um it was. It basically was an old man and the sea <laughs> for the entire book. His battle with a marlin, and uh, yes, I think if you ask me what kind of books do I, do I not really like, it's probably man pitting himself against the elements. Uh, yeah, and I, and I learned that quite quick, quite early on. So I find I found I find Hemingway a bit of a struggle. Uh-huh. Anytime I've tried reading it, I get bogged down. I'm kind of. It was interesting that you know that way. I think readers fall into two camps. I'm I'm kind of like you. If, if I'm reading a book and I don't enjoy it, I just put it away and find something I do enjoy <laughs> because there are so many books there and life's too short. But other people will stick it out to the bitter end mm-hmm. and maybe not enjoy it anymore, but almost like a sense of achievement of having conquered this horrible experience. Yeah, no, I mean, if I do have some kind of admiration for that. I just think that probably I only want to read now for pleasure and, and because there are so many books out there. But, of course, that could be my loss because sometimes you could persevere and find that it was worth the journey in the end. Because yeah. I sometimes find... It sometimes depends on your mood, depending on the book you're reading. Or So even if I don't take it first time, I'll maybe go back again, try two or three times, and then if it's still the same reaction, then that's 
let's finish, that's me. Yeah, and like you said earlier on about recommendations, if somebody whose views or opinions I really respected said, you're, honestly, you will like this or or think about it like that, you know, from a different perspective, then I would go and try again, definitely, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's the, I mean, that's what I, I like about this question is the fact that some people take to it with relish and have a whole list of books and then other people, it is quite difficult. Um, partly maybe the same reasons you were saying about you don't finish mm-hmm. about when I'm asking the question there's always you know, that we split second before you answer I'm thinking I hope it's not a book I really love because I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm thinking do, do admit <laughs> it's my favourite ever I, you've the, just the trudged. podcast is over <laughs> out <laughs> no um, yeah and the other person who's um, so I, my mum's still a voracious reader and she's uh, unfortunately now and she's bought a Kindle so what used to happen was she would buy all the books and then she would give them to me to read but now she can't because she's got this Kindle but uh, she still tells me things that she loves and she she'll probably reads four books a week you know right, so, so um, anything that's on the Booker Prize long list she'll have read and so you know I, I have this very immediate person to bat backwards and forwards to yeah that's quite nice actually as well because it's lovely and again, it takes us seamlessly. People think we've actually prepared this. So the, the, the fifth one, the book that you're, you've read or currently reading, and it's a, a previous Booker Prize winner, and and Anne writes The Gathering. Yes, it is. And I, I, for some reason, I've owned that for a long time and not read it, and it's been on my shelves. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was reading an um, essay that Anne Enright had written for The Guardian, which was about, was about Trump and Me Too and feminism. And I just thought this is such an amazing piece, and I and I knew I owned the book, so I thought I'll I'll dip in and see what the book's like. So and I, I really love it. I'm not quite finished it yet, yeah. but, I, but I'm really really enjoying it. I think I've got about twenty pages left to read. Because I'm doing my um, sort of reading project just now. I've decided to try and read all the Booker Prize winners, start mm-hmm. from the very first one and wow. working my way through. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean it's going to take me a while, and then I, I also I'm not doing it. So I'm doing it chronologically, but then uh-huh. I maybe go and read something else completely different, like a, a book about football or music or something, just to give me a break and then go back to it. So at some point, I, I will get to... Because I've read a few of them, but not... Um, so how far? How many have you done so I'm, far? I'm only on number four. It's only something... It was just in the back of the prize recently, in uh-huh. the end of 2019, that I thought I'll, I'll start. So I went right back to the very beginning. So I'm on to, to book number four. So it's already interesting... The different reactions, some even already in the first three, some have enjoyed better than others. So. Uh-huh. What an interesting thing to do, yeah. Um, so, whether there's a, a book or a. and trying to keep me notes and like, wee reviews of them also. I wonder if you'll find there's something consistent, you know, in how they're chosen or whether, you know, I suppose it depends. The judges will vary from year to year. The thing is, as well, I was thinking, so I think the first one was 1969, so it's like mm-hmm. 50 years, so tastes, language, subject uh-huh. matter, everything will have changed from then. Certainly, I can. I look forward to the gathering when it when it comes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you. I'm sure you'll. I mean, it's about a big, sprawling Irish family, and and if I tell you the actual plot, it doesn't sound. It sounds almost derivative because I suppose there's lots of books about big sprawling Irish families, and the it, the thing that is the crux of it is one of the brothers has just died and he's an alcoholic, and it thrusts one of the sisters into a state of crisis and a state of reflection in her life. But it's the writing. It's the way she merges her memories with stuff you're not sure whether is real memory and um, just the trauma of it and I love this idea she's got so many brothers and sisters and they were so close together that sometimes she can't remember what things happened to her and what were her, you know her mm. memories are merged with what happened to her the brother or sister that was young, nearest to her etc and the writing's just phenomenal so I'm sure you'll enjoy it when you get when you get there 
I mean, when you're obviously reading that book, but do you have a do you have a pile of books that you're going to work your way through, or is it just one comes just all spring to mind, or have you got a list of or a pile that you, you have to work your way through? I have a kind of mental list, but I, I I do tend to get diverted by something I've read somewhere else, and I think you know, like in an article like this, Anne Wright thing, um, and I suddenly think, oh, I have to, I have to read that. I'm wanting to read some more Janet Malcolm stuff at the moment because I not long ago read Iphigenia in Forest Hills. And loved that so much, so that's kind of in the back of my mind. When I get time, I'll settle down and read some of some of that. Yeah, because some pe- I, I found that sometimes with people, you know, you you find one book mm-hmm. by someone that you really like, and then you want you kind of feel you, you need to go and read everything else again. Is that something that that you find yourself doing that you you want to read their full body of work? Yeah, sometimes, and um, this particularly because it's a genre that I, I I am really interested in, which is kind of literary real crime, but not. I don't like pot boiler stuff. I like, you know, like Gordon Burns or, or obviously Truman Capote or, and and I hadn't really read any of hers. Who, who else writes that um, stuff that I really love? Oh, and Gita Sereni. So um, yeah, and and I hadn't really discovered Janet Malcolms before. So that's just kind of one of the things that I really really like. I was a crime reporter in a different in a different life. So I'm quite into psychology of crime and all that and yeah. court court cases and things like that. Because it's such a big, so popular as well. Crime novel, but it, it just expands such a different, so mm-hmm. many different styles within that. Yes, actually, I'm not that. I'm not that interested in crime novels. I really like the. I like the things that are very literary tellings of big, big cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the fact that your mum reads on a Kindle. Where do you stand in the the Kindle in, in the ebook? <laughs> As I a, don't as have a, a I don't have a apart from the fact that it stops her giving me books I don't <laughs> I don't have a kind of um, issue with it just for me personally I like to physically hold a book um, and maybe if I tried with a Kindle I would well, the one the one time I think it would really help would be when you go on holiday because we all take books on holiday yeah. and where we're all there <laughs> you're carrying masses of books it would help your luggage lines. it would help the luggage but beyond that, I just really physically like being able to cart the book. Oh, I also like, I mean, I'm one of these weird people that will read while cooking and read while, um, right. <laughs> while in the bath and all those places that Kindles are not that, you Can know. Can you read while you're walking? I always... I, I don't do that people. anymore, but I did that as a child. I, I, I read See, that really impresses me, because I always think, I, I, there's no way I could do that. <laughs> really? I saw somebody do it the other day, and I hadn't seen anyone do it for a really long time, and I thought, maybe I could try doing that again. But I think you probably would get quite odd looks, don't yeah. you? Yeah, because I always think it's intriguing now, you know, if you get public transport, the train or the bus, if you get a, a book and take a book out of your bag, you will probably be the only person on that carriage. Everybody mm-hmm. else is on their phone. Mm-hmm. Which is just the, the way of the world as well now that a lot of them might be reading books on their phone. I doubt it, but mm-hmm. but they might be reading articles and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's quite nice when you actually see somebody physically because I think as well Kindles, well, the th- it was meant to herald the death of the physical books. Actually, had the opposite effect. That it's encouraged because it's encouraged people to read again, mm-hmm. and then eventually people then return to books because as a, as a a physical product, as as a gift or as something to have and to hold, it's just so much better than. This reader, even though you can hold a thousand books in the palm of your hand, yeah. you still rather hold. I mean, maybe it's, there's a parallel with the return to vinyl. You know, it's yeah, great yeah, being able to listen yeah. to whatever you want and stream it and everything. But there's something beautiful about the actual artifact, isn't there? And holding that and it being a thing that you've chosen out and owned. I think. Yeah. So, given you, you know, there are certain books that you've you've had or you have that you treasure that means something to you. You just you'll, you'll not even loan them out to anybody. You just keep them because. 
I would loan most of my books out, I think, because... But I certainly have ones that I treasure, yeah, mm. definitely. I've got... Um, I've talked about this before, but I have a 1985 copy of uh, Lanark. Oh, wow. Which Alistair Gray signed when I was 17, so... I, and it is falling apart, actually. I wouldn't lend that simply because um, every time I open it, it a few more pages kind of get separated from the spine, so I probably wouldn't loan that to anybody. But other things that I... The more I treasure it, the more I want other people to read it as well. So yeah. I, I don't think I would. I don't think I would say that I um, hoard them to myself or anything. But I mean, I take it you, you're a fan of Lanark. Oh, I love Lanark. Yeah. Although I think as I've grown older, I've probably got more issues with it. It's more again that whole feminist thing. You'll read it from a different kind of light later mm. on. But because I loved it when I was young, I think I'll always love it. Yeah, it's always one of my bugbears when. Going to school, high school, we get very little Scottish literature. It's mm-hmm. only later you come to it, and it's things like that, the Cone Gatherers, various other books that you think, mm-hmm. why weren't we taught that when we were at school? Mm-hmm. I think it's different now, though. Yeah, they are definitely yeah. getting um, stuff on the set texts that are, that are Scottish, but yeah, I know you're right, we didn't really get very much at all. It was quite a lot of American literature when I was yeah. young. Well, listen, Danny, thanks very much for joining us on the Redoubt It's Lodin been a pleasure, podcast. it's been lovely. And I uh, hope you, if your mum's listening to it, she starts uh, buying books again so she can pass them <laughs> on to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell her you said that. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast, and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast, or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddihy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.